Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And the truth shall set you free. Speak Free Radio is proud to present The Fact Hunter. The Fact Hunter radio broadcast takes a deep dive into current and historical conspiracies from around the world. We are here to fight the cabal, to show the hidden hand, and to wake up as many people as we possibly can. Join the Fact Hunter Army today. So lace up your boots, ruck up, and fall into formation. Sir, yes, sir! Here is the Fact Hunter himself, George Hobbs. Good morning, everyone. Welcome aboard to another edition of the Fact Hunters radio broadcast on this Wednesday, July 20th, 2022. Uh, for those tracking at home, it's day 861 to flatten the curve, and we are live from a uh, quite balmy uh, Dover, Delaware, where it's been in the 90s and uh, with the heat index and all that good stuff, it's been well over 100. So uh, it's been smelling a lot like fried chicken around here. We have a great show for you. Uh, today. Uh, Co-founder of Speak Free Radio, uh, Mr. Paul English, will be joining us in just a moment. And then Friday, uh, making a return, our uh, co-host, Mr. Mark Warheit. Lots to talk about. Um, It's going to be a very interesting show Friday. But today, uh, I'd like to welcome everyone, uh, the co-host again of Speak Free Radio, uh, the one and only Mr. Paul English. Good morning, sir. How are you? George, I'm fine, and it's uh, it's nice to be here. Um, I don't think we're competing with you on the temperature front as closely as as we ought to, but we're we're not far off. It's it was a hundred yesterday where I was, which for England is silly temperatures, really. So, but you, I guess you have to live with that quite a bit. But uh, yeah, quite warm here too. Quite warm here too. It's uh, yeah, it's quite warm, and uh, I appreciate you joining us today. Uh, how many? Sh- you've only done a, a handful of shows on this network so far, right? Yeah. I, well, I'm sort of scarce, I guess, um, because everybody, uh, everybody else is quite busy doing things, and uh, you kind of. What did you? Why did I say yes to you? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Why. I think you just caught me when my guard was down, and I just went yes. I went, oh no, what have I done? Because I, I actually made a decision to try and in these early stages, not really get onto all the shows or anything, because people did call me up and say, Paul. I said, I don't think so, really. You know, just crack on, um, because there's, as you know, from discussions you've had with me in other areas, there's a lot of background things still that need to be settled down. Um, 
So um, that that takes up quite a bit, well, a lot of my time and attention, really, and sort of running the family and stuff like that. So I'm busy. And I think with shows, I hope you'd know, here you are doing it four times a week. Um, the more you kind of look at them, the more you realise that you need serious prep time to make them really sort of hold together if you're going to keep the standard there. And um, so I can't really commit myself fully to doing that just yet, but the aim is at some point soon to do it. Um, and so, yeah, getting on with people like yourself is good. I think the last time was probably, I think it was, gosh, I can't remember now, Scorpio shows maybe a few months ago. I, I, can't rem- I can't remember. I mean, it's only been going a few months, but there just seems to be an awful lot of water under the bridge, if that's the right way of expressing it. So it's just been a busy and hectic time, really, these first few months, yeah. Yeah, you're closing in on uh, four months. You, you kicked off April 1st, which I'm sure was just a coincidence. And uh, it's... <laughs> so that we never forget it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because we don't. Everybody goes, oh, look at that. And I go, well, that was a whole idea. I mean, if we'd have picked another day, it would have been silly. Because it is a bit of a fool's errand to some degree. I mean, it might turn out not to be. We might turn out to be very wise in retrospect. But at the time, you just go, come on, we better just jump in and crack on with this. And and as most people know, it was uh, Dave's spectacular, Dave Gahari's spectacular Lazarus-like recovery back into the land of the living that made it possible, because it's uh, it's not possible without him. So um, we're all very pleased about that, and he's getting livelier, livelier and livelier with each passing minute, it seems. So, um, you know, the signs point, point in a good direction, in spite of the fact that obviously the world is going in a rather shabby direction, as you well know. Indeed. And, uh, you know, I want to get to some topics of conversation, but I do want to, you know, when I heard to get Dave Gahari, I think it was uh, Giuseppe and Dave had a show at the time. It was like a crossover show back in maybe it was late April. And that was the episode when I heard Dave and what he dealt with and coming back and Giuseppe's and and Dave's, um, Dave Scorpio, they seemed revitalized being on this network and I said that's where I want to be and that's when I started reaching out to you guys and said hey over here and I'm, I'm glad to be yeah. a part of this uh, because well I guess without passion. you guys it wouldn't be a network I mean it's really you know what word should we use you, you get sort of it sounds a bit lame saying we're just starting after a while because you, you, you've got to really try and get things up as quickly as we can but there's an awful lot more that can be done there's certainly hopefully we'd like to think there's an awful lot more live shows to be bolted into the into the schedule as we go along. And uh, that means finding, you know, uh, more people who want to do them and do them in the right sort of way or whatever you want to call it. And it's very delicate processes, that. It's more delicate than I anticipated. So uh, you kind of have a sense of that as well, dealing yeah. with personalities um, and all their various requirements. It takes a bit of time. Um, but um, there's never been a time when people need to speak out more than they do now. Um as everybody kind of knows. So hopefully, you know, we'll be able to <coughs> connect in with that. I mean, we're not alone. There's many, many people putting things together, a lot of video platforms and stuff like that. This is really, you know, my thought about it as always to be audio, um, because that's the way I'm kind of built. Um, I prefer it, basically, um, because I, uh, like you, I'm busy during the day. I can't actually sit and watch videos. It's not possible Uh, I get slightly irritated because I go, well, I can't do this because (laughs) I've got these other things to do. But if I've got the radio on, I can can listen and do the washing up, George. This is really what I'm saying, you know. And uh, you can, whatever, replace washing up everybody with whatever tasks you've got to do. 
But uh, I sort of grew up in a household that was like that with my parents having radios on whilst doing things. And they, they seem to prefer it than watching TV, of course. And uh, I guess it's just a habit that you pick up. It's, there's nothing profound about it. It's just uh, it fits the way I, that I work during the day and, and many others. And it's internet work is, you know, you're working on screens and doing things and listening to stuff at the same time. So it's, it's a good way to go, I think. And, uh, and that's why we... That's why we've plumped for it at this point, yeah. Yeah, and I know it's a lot of hard work. Listen, I know there's a lot of people who may be hearing your voice for the first time, uh, first time, excuse me, and may not be, you know, completely familiar uh, with yourself. So, if you wanted to give folks a little bit of your background and what led you down the the journey of truth, and uh, you know what inspired you and Dave Gahari to uh, create uh, Speak Free Radio, how far do you want me to go back? <laughs> Well, we've got two hours, sir, so... <laughs> it takes in a deep intake of breath. Well, it all began when I was a schoolboy, you see. No, um, of course it does for all of us, doesn't it? But um, uh, I've said this a few times elsewhere, so for people that have heard it before, please please forgive the repetition, but maybe there's many people that haven't. Um, I'm obviously English. I live in England. I was raised uh, in the northern part of England, in Yorkshire, and... Um, Yorkshire occupies a similar position in English culture to Texas in American culture. It's the biggest place. It's tiny by American standards, but it's still the biggest county. And people tend to think of themselves as Yorkshiremen first and English people second. So I should probably be called Paul Yorkshire, really, but that would be a little bit awkward. But um, um, I, uh, I just I had a great upbringing with my parents. It was fantastic. Uh, I grew up as a teenager in the 70s, which in retrospect, seems to be rather fortunate in many ways. And uh, I moved to London in the 80s to work. I worked in a rather exploratory company, let's call it that. And then I went, in the early 90s, I was a freelance copywriter for a few years. And then about 1993, in my early 30s, believing that I knew how the world worked, George, you remember that feeling? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I had it all figured out. Yeah, me too. I was, whoa, I know what's going on, right? I bump into a gentleman at a, uh, a meeting who was very softly spoken, and other people were talking to me about him. Do you know this guy? And I said, no. And I ended up talking to him for a bit and was instantaneously intrigued by some of the topics that he was talking about and the authority with which he talked about them. And they were all to do with banking. Uh, and I'm not a banker, okay? Um and uh, he handed off some newsletters. Desktop publishing was out and about then in the early 90s, okay. Uh, websites had not really fully got going until the mid to late 90s. Um, but we were right there. We were. I, I worked in a place that had a network, and this is why a lot of people came down to sort of play around with the internet in the very early days. I was one of them. And there were meetings in an e on an evening, and interesting folks turned up and talked about information technology and things like this. So I met this guy there. And uh, But he was unlike anybody there, and he was really unlike anybody I've ever met since, to be quite honest. And uh, he was a very, very softly spoken, very dangerous man, <laughs> in the sense that he was probably borderline sociopathic. I didn't know this at the time, because, you know, you're quite chummy to everybody as you're growing up. I was, sure. anyway. Um, and then he began to explain to me how banking worked. And after about a year and a half of 
repeatedly meeting with him because he was very happy to talk about this stuff. And he was working on projects, he was a very serious-minded man. Um, I came to the view that, that prior to all this information going to my head, really, I hadn't a clue about what was going on in the world. I literally hadn't had a clue. And now I did. And I was very, very sober and miserable <laughs> and an extremely tedious company at parties, which I stopped getting invited to because, <laughs> because it's very difficult. I, you know, I began to look at everybody going, oh, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what's really going on in the background of this. Everybody wants to get on and let's form a business. I was like that too. You see, that's, you know, I, uh, I had a girlfriend. I went on to become my wife. I'm thinking, well, I have to make money and do stuff and everything. And uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, this information that came my way totally skewed my context for life, for everything. I mean, it just changed totally out of, out of recognition to everything before that, because I was aware of the minute details about how the game was rigged. And uh, he knew a lot. He knew a great deal. Um, he, he'd sat down at tables with, with bankers at the highest levels of this rotten thing. And... Uh, he was a very intriguing man. Uh, he kept his notes in our meetings. He was English, okay, he was dyslexic. But just to give you an in indication, we would have these meetings at sort of like Liverpool Street Railway Station in London, big big railway station there, one of the big ones. And I would often meet him there for a coffee and we'd be down there for a couple of hours at a table just talking and catching up. And uh, he would keep notes on this little, with a pen and pad. And I looked at it I said, what is that language that you've written this in? <laughs> he said, oh, that's my own version of Arabic shorthand. He said, I, I said, oh, is that useful? He said, well, it is to me. He said, because I'm the only person in the world that can read it. It was like that. So he, his, his security was that he left these notes all over his office. He couldn't care less if anybody broke in because no one would understand them at all. And it was like that. It was very strange. There were secret compartments, George, in offices. I'm serious, right? <laughs> Sliding doors. There was loads of stuff going on. I can't really go into it all. But I was going, what have I walked into? I discovered things about all the underground bunkers around London, which he knew about because he bought one. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he had one available from a farmer in Essex, which is on the east side of London. And he was telling me about all these bunkers that had been built in the 50s, and then they'd been selling them off. Uh, we talked a lot about cash, about the war on cash. Uh, we talked about that in 95, 96. He said they're going to... So here we are, you know, some 27 years later, after that date, with everything with the crypto uh, stuff going on. He said uh, that's why they've introduced credit and debit cards at that time. Those were the big things. Uh, everybody, you know, bouncing up their credit card debt in the 80s and the 90s. Um, and he, you know, he said they've got to get rid of cash because they can't track you on it, and they want to micro-control everything. He talked about China. Now, back in the mid-90s, China was not sort of cool. If that's, that's never, it's never going to be that, but it wasn't prominent the way it is now. And he said all, all the major families are, are planning to chew out America from the inside out, and they're moving their resources back here, and then they're going to uh, raise up China. And he talked about the families all the time, people in these banking families the Rothschild and others. And um, because he'd sat down at meetings with some of them, he operated at quite a high level. And yet he was a working class lad, but gifted. Um, he had a, yeah, he, he was gifted uh, in, in certain ways and he didn't like them. He was very cross with what had happened to 
my country, his country, um, particularly around the war. He'd lost a lot of family in the war. And he used me basically as bait for a project. I was bait. I didn't realise it at the time. I was learning stuff. But I was used as bait, uh, as a guinea pig for something. So I came to resent him about this later on, of course. Um, and I'd love to speak to him again, but I suspect he's dead. He died, I think, around about 2010 or 11. Something must have possibly caught up with him in his past, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, that was a... Uh, I still remember a lot of the conversations I had with him and uh, the, just the way my context for everything shifted. And as soon as I understood that banks were basically a total private scam from top to bottom, there's no other way to describe it, I then earnestly embarked on deep diving into banking and then would go back to him and say, is this right? Because no, not that, and this, that, and the other. And, um, yeah, so that was, that was huge. And uh, what ended up, unfortunately happening is that i ended up in the high court against the bank of england which i won't go into but i did he was supposed to turn up as the as the main defendant but couldn't be bothered (laughs) (laughs) and uh, i was extremely disconcerted i'd never been sort of brought into a court george i was nearly 40 he's you kind of look back and i kind of wince really thinking about it and uh but i was totally out of my depth with the whole thing and i went to uh I was in court for three days. He was supposed to turn up, and he didn't turn up. And I, I'd send these messages going, aren't you supposed to turn up? He said, I don't want to. <laughs> I thought, you can't deal with these people like that. They're just going to come and, you know. Sure. But he he did also, he had a lot of powerful people around him as well. So, you know, we get this impression maybe from a distance that they're all unified in there. They're not. Uh, although it's rotted out to such a degree, it might not ma- matter anymore. They're not, and um, he was using me as bait. Basically, we were, I, I was in there, and he was supposed to be in there, but he wanted, I said, why are you not turning up? He said, they've reduced the level of the charges. I said, well, that's a good thing, isn't it? He said, no. He said, it's not. He said, I want them. He said, they've realized that they made a mistake. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, when they came in with his first level of charge, I won't explain the whole thing, George. It's too complicated. I'll be here for weeks. But he said, when they came in with this first level of charges, he said, they had my interest. I was prepared to turn up then. He said, because in my defense, I could produce documents that would have destroyed them. Oh. Right. <laughs> he said, but they know that. <laughs> they know that. So they've reduced the charges so that I can't produce these documents. And these were documents about the traitorous behavior of British governments going all the way back to World War Two, because he had archives protected in nuclear bunkers that he'd bought i'm serious you know so it was like being involved in a spy movie type thing literally with electric carpets so some of the carpets were electrified if anybody came in they you know three thousand volts through your rear end and stuff like this yeah it was (laughs) it was and it was kind of shabby on the outside you wouldn't have gone it's not all impressive and people swanning around like spies in great suits nothing like that he was he'd taken a vow of poverty He, he really had He'd taken a vow of poverty, and uh, uh, but he'd learnt something about the banking system. And uh, one of the other things that the listeners may find interesting, I did, um, was he said that the major families had had a lot of problems with their children in the 60s and 70s. And I said, why? And he said, because many of them obviously were being groomed to 
carry on with the family concern, i.e. running the world or whatever, whatever we think they're up to, you know, right. or maintaining and expanding their power base. But these children weren't interested in that. They had been exposed to the concept of the 60s to some degree, whether we think it's bogus or not, and it probably is. But it had an effect on them. And they felt, some of them felt that their family business was rotten and should not be carried on, that it was a dinosaur, that it was of an older age where people were treated badly and they were not interested in it anymore. And uh, they did away with some of their own children because of that. My goodness. That's what you're kind of dealing with. And... uh, uh, yeah, very strange. Just a strange world. I mean, we once were looking at a bank document. You remember there was a an Indonesian president called Suharto. Do you remember him? Oh, vaguely. Or does the name ring a bell? Yeah, he was quite prominent. Was it Indonesia? I think it was. And he probably got bumped off or something. Anyway, one day he brings in this document to show me, a banking document. You know, we talked about these things. I wasn't keen to see it, but he said, oh, I said, I've just been working on this. I thought you ought to have a look. And so he rolls it out. The size of it would be about vertically about two feet, about two foot by one foot. It's a big document, right? Big sheet of paper, like parchment rolled up with a seal on it, with a wax seal, that kind of stuff. And he says, okay, we can pop this up. And he laid it out. And it's, it was an instrument, a financial instrument for $50 billion. $50 billion, it said on it, right? Treasury note. I can't remember who the issuing bank was or which government or whatever. And Suharto's picture was on it with his signature. And there were 50 signatories of financial comptrollers up and down the system in the Bank of Indonesia who were on with this document all over it. It was a work of art, frankly. It was quite bedazzling. It was beautifully done as a document. I went, look at that. That's quite amazing. He said, yes, it is, isn't it? He said, it's a fake I said, what? He said, yeah, he said, it's fake. He said, we spend most of my time, he said, with the team that I use. He didn't tell me about all these things. He said, uh, really looking at these documents. He said, they said to produce a document like that is about, cost them about £15,000 to produce a document like that. And they think we're not going to find out because they try to pass off <laughs> these d- documents. So amazing. And I, I had a friend who actually once visited him at his house. This was very early on before he knew everybody. It only ever happened once. And he said he'd taken him into his office. And at the time, so this would be early 1990s, he'd just come back from the Middle East, this guy. And uh, he said, I went into his office. I was being told this by a really good English type who literally, I kid ye not, sported a monocle. He did. Yeah, I never thought I'd ever meet. He had a model. He go, "Hey, I sail, boy." He was literally like that. He was marvelous. I loved him. He was wonderful. He said, "What do you think we're going to do, Paul?" I said, uh, I, don't, "I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do." But he was marvelous. He'd made a lot of money in something and lost it all. I, I don't know about you, but I used to meet a lot of guys on their way down who thought they were going to recover their financial glory, and I kind of would sometimes waste a couple of years with these people going nowhere. But it was all part of it. He'd gone in. He'd gone into his office. He said. He said, there must have been 80 telephones in there. I said, really? He said, yeah. And I asked him, I said, how many telephone lines have you, did you have in your office? He said, oh, yeah, about 80. <laughs> I said, where to? He said, they're all like bat phones. Seriously, all of them were on scramblers, and they all went to government departments around the world. My goodness. I went, wow. <laughs> yeah. And they were buying and selling government debt, treasury bonds. Right. You see, what's not known, you get you see it reported in the financial press. 
I see it reported in the financial press. So there's the front level of story that people are aware of, that one. The one right. that's still going on now. The one that's saying, we're going to switch to crypto and all this kind of stuff. And we've got to be held at that level of attention. But round the back of the bike sheds uh, with these things, there's all sorts of pre-deals. These things come to the market already with a trajectory in the financial world that's been plotted and planned. And is it, there's nothing you can do to change it. And uh, so one of the things with treasury bonds that people are not aware of is that there's a pre-market in them. It was massively discounted, like huge, like 70% discount off treasury bonds and things like this. I'm serious, right? And it's literally not possible to not make money. You can't not make money in this world. But, of course, to, to execute all these things, the banks have to be in place. They're actually not allowed to buy and sell these instruments directly. It undermines everything that they're doing. And part of that process, George is to hoover cash in out of society. It's to literally hoover cash back out. Because if you keep hoovering the cash back out of society, you create the demand for more loans. It's labyrinthine, this stuff. It never ends. It just goes on and on and on and on. And it's, it's like induction circuits with electricity. There's just resistors and capacitors in, in financial terms. And that's, um, that was the world that he operated in. He operated in that world, and he, he came to it by accident because he was actually an engineer. He started off as an engineer, worked at a place called Hawker Sidley over here. They used to make the engines for the Harrier jump jets and things like that. And that's what he was. He was basically an engineer. So he thought like an engineer would, which is one of the best forms of thinking you can have because you have to make things work. Otherwise, you're not an engineer, are you? Right. I mean, you can't call yourself that. <laughs> You're a liar, basically. But if, if, if what you've built works, you are an engineer because you've engineered it. So he, um, uh, I'm kind of stuck on him, but I'll just complete this because it's, it is it's a key part of my pivot. It's a pivot point. It's major, actually, for me. And um, he, um, he ended up, <laughs> just to give you an insight into his character, he, um, he stole some money from an employee employer because this employer showed him how he was making the money and he objected to it because it was ripping the British public off okay and there was a secret slush fund account with all this money in it which he wasn't declaring to the tax man and stuff and uh, so he was in charge of the mini frame computer at the time and uh, I can't remember how much money there was in it. Was, this is about 1971 or 72, a long time back. And um, he sent all the money to the Salvation Army, I think it was. Just wired it to their account one morning. No kidding. <laughs> Out of the, yeah, just wired it. And then he went off for his lunch break. This is in London. And he, he sat there, he was having a coffee. He said, and I realized I'd done something wrong. He said, I knew it was wrong, but I was going to do it anyway. So he took himself to Paddington Police Station and arrested himself <laughs> when he took yeah i laughed i said what were you talking about he said yeah i, t I arrested myself he said the de the desk sergeant threw me out of the p cop shop three times he thought i was mad he said but i had to arrest myself there's something brilliant in that as well by the way if we all arrest ourselves we can overburden the police you see we've just got to start thinking he thought differently i really noticed this every way the way he structured thought and approached things unlike anybody I'd ever met. It was very, everybody who met him said, 
did you hear what he said about how does he think like that? I'm going, I don't know. <laughs> but there's something in it because he was looking at things in a particular way. Anyway, what happened was that that came to court. And when it came to the big bit about all the money missing, the people that had brought him into court denied it that there were any money missing. They said, <laughs> we don't know what you're talking about. There's no bank account. We haven't lost any money. It's, it's for this, for another minor thing. Anyway, he got, he got sent down for two years. Whilst he's in there, after about a few months, some guys from MI5 or MI6, one of these spook agencies that we have over here, come to see him in prison. He wasn't expecting it. They come to see him and they said, um, we know what you did and uh, we think what you did was good. You did the right thing. It was honourable. And we can understand why uh, you might be cross about it. So we know what you did, but we can't reveal to people that we know what we did because that would reveal our sources and how we do things. So we can't. We can't but we're letting you know that we know exactly what you did and it's good and we thank you for it right because he was looking after the country basically um but there are very powerful people involved in these things they said look you can spend another two and a half years sitting on your tush here doing not much or you can work for us would you like to work for us and he said where they said we'll send you out to the middle east we want you to do some work for us out there so he said okay so he goes out there this is where he learns his, his, his own form of arabic shorthand because he taught himself arabic whilst he's out there and um, he ends up working for a family that was massive, a, a massive family, Sheikh Salah, I think, owned about 450 companies, construction companies, the lot. This chap, being an engineer, ended up working for him. He's highly trusted. He has got this sort of bulletproof integrity about things. Absolutely one of the hardest men I've ever, ever been with in communication. Very softly spoken, but literally like a rock, like granite around things. Nothing would change. Very firm. And he became highly trusted by them. And they ended up building Riyadh Airport. He, put, he designed all the air conditioning for Riyadh Airport when it was being built. And uh, so he was in charge of all these teams and huge amounts of money. And what happened is that one day they found out about this scam with Treasury notes. And he'd been thinking about this for a long time, and they needed $10 million to buy into this thing. And he goes to this shake bloke, and he says, I'm going to do this. He said, well, I'll give you the money. He said, no, no, no. He said, you can't. He said, if it all goes south, you'll never look at me the same way, and it'll be destroyed, and I'm not having that. So, um, and back at the, this is in the 70s. Back at that time, they had literally guys flying around in planes with suitcases of cash, paying out premiums on these things once a week. Seriously. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm explaining it in rather a glib fashion, because if we go into the detail, we'll be here for a very long time. But no, I got the, bot the bottom line is that he became a trusted communicator in this space, and he ended up handling the accounts of major companies, one of which was over here, the Ford Motor Company in, in Britain. And he said to me, he said, all the motor manufacturers don't make money making cars. He said they do, but they make far much more money doing this. He said, I know, because I handle the account for them. <laughs> and this is because these huge companies like pension companies, insurance companies, motor car manufacturers, they're turning over huge amounts of cash, so they sat on it. The banks get worried that they sat on all this cash, yeah, and they want it off them. So they've induced them back into this thing, which works for them as well, and so they keep the cash out of circulation, compelling the consumer to go to borrow more money to pump it back into circulation which they charge interest on and so on and so forth so the whole thing 
is a complete stitch up mechanically. And we could go to several further levels of detail, but I don't want to stay. I'm just trying to give you a flavor of it. Um, this was a major background in my learning curve. It was major. And, and I maintain right to this very point that until we correct the bank pragmatically, we're correcting nothing. There's nothing that will be corrected until we correct that. Um, and if we bring it up to today, you know, with the crypto stuff, um, it's just a fix. It doesn't matter technically what we use for money. We could use feathers if we're all highly trustworthy, right? And our people generally are. I mean, okay, not all of them. <laughs> I'm not saying we do use feathers. It could be a bit dodgy, right? But, um, you know, we should probably take God's advice and his instructions and use gold and silver, although that still doesn't solve the problem. It's not what we use for money, in my view, right? It's How not what used. we use for money. Well, yeah, it's who owns the who owns it, right? I mean, you've got over there. You've got a federal reserve, so called. Yeah, it's not federal. It hasn't got any reserves. Nope. But the bottom line is that you and all your fellow Americans don't own it, do you? Nope. And we have over here a thing called the Bank of England, and I haven't got a share in it. I know who does, <laughs> and it ain't the British people. So, in what way is it my bank? How come it's called the Bank of England? It's not. It's the Bank of the City of London, which is not even part of London. It's a fiefdom, effectively, you know. And uh, it's the same with Washington, D.C., these little designs that they've done. And um, so how are we supposed to expect to have integrity in our financial affairs when it's privately controlled by certain groups? And it doesn't matter who they are, racially, or what they're making. It doesn't matter at all. They're bound together, in many cases, by using this to control and indirectly rule the world. And, of course, the problem we have, so if we call ourselves, say, truth seekers, truth tellers, you know, just to use a phrase, the issue is that you and I have to scramble, or sometimes maybe not scramble so much, but we've got to pay the bills. They don't. It's a massive difference. They don't. All the people that are on their side, they all get paid at the end of the month. They get their mortgages covered. And that, this is the great pressure point with things. It's very simple stuff. Um, but um, we're involved in kind of like a war of attrition, and we're not in a good place. <laughs> we're not in a good place historically, you know, because uh, the bank, uh, the bank dictates to our governments. It dictates to everything, and this is why you get no sense out of so-called economics ministers. I mean, they're a joke. They're just they're an utter joke because they never take into account banking, even. With uh, You take a degree course in economics over here. I think it must be still the same. I don't know how long it lasts, three years, five years. They spend a couple of weeks on central banking. It's a joke. If you don't, you know, it's like saying, I'm going to be a, a, an engineer, but I don't know what an inch is. What? Yeah. Can it be any length I like? Not really, no. <laughs> it's not going to work. No, it's not, it's not going to work that. Well, that's what it is with money. It's just an elastic thing that they just shift around. And then what have they done? Um, you know, if we look at the sort of step effect from, from money, the first thing they targeted was the courts. The courts were all seduced into it. Yeah. The courts are basically bankers' courts. That's all they are. You walk in there, you're doomed, right? Which is why my colleague at the time was not going in there, only under certain circumstances, because he knew it. He was older than me, and he just knew all this stuff, and I was green as could possibly be. Um, and then the media, and then education, and it's um, so it's not impossible for us to break it, but it's pretty difficult when most people that we live with haven't a clue about this, really. 
They don't really, they know. And I understand why they wouldn't even want to go, look, I just want to get my life. I want to earn something. But look at where we are now. No one's really being allowed to get on with their life. Um, and yet this conversation, it was relevant two years ago. And I, th- I think it's still relevant now in terms of, you know, trying to get a view on where these coercive forces lie. Many of them lie within the realm of the control of the bank. Um, so the the, transforma- the transformative act that is required is that every American needs to have one share in the Federal Reserve. It's non-transferable. You get it when you're, say, 18. It expires when you do. You can only have one. You can't have any more than one. And every time the Fed turns a profit every three months, you get a divvy. That's it. There's, there are no mechanisms for people to understand what it does. It's totally cloaked in manure, which is why they own the media, because they are the manure spreaders. Um, so, yeah, I haven't talked about this for ages, George. Look, you've set me off. <laughs> That's fantastic. You made great points on everything. Look, when the banks succeed, uh, the banks reap uh, the profits, not us. And when things go south, just look what happened in 2008. We should have just let them yep. tank. We should have let them tank. But what happened? Uh, Larry Fink, the guy who is now the CEO of BlackRock, they put him, another private guy, in charge of uh, the, the recovery. And, of course, they took care of themselves. So, you know, we are allowed to fail. The, the, the folks who these parasites make billions or trillions, excuse me, off of, but they will never be allowed to fail. Uh, whereas us, the actual people who make this, you know, the world go round, if you will, um, we're the ones that take the hit whenever they do. Yeah. It's, ju- it's just the ultimate, at the moment, it's one of the ultimate control levers upon us. And um, it's a difficult one to shake off because it hits you uh, at the level of fear about not being able to pay your bills. And uh, so this is not new. This is a control mechanism that's been around for thousands of years. Rulers have known this, that if they want to control their population. And, you know, maybe in the past, going back a few thousand years, you could see why it might be like that. Uh, I have a perception, yet again, this could be not correct, but my perception is that they were more brutal times by virtue of the nature of physical living and what happened. And uh, the primary things like food and everything were very, very, they're always going to be very important because we're all dead without that. Um, And um, But they were the things that would be fought over and that land would be, and there was no other way to resolve it at the time as we were coming out of the swamp or whatever you want to say. So maybe those things, it doesn't really matter what I think about it in terms of emotionally, that's what happened. Um, But we've got a residue of that. And it seems to me that, the so-called industrial revolution has proved that there's no shortage of anything. Oh, absolutely not. You had this. You had the, your your guest the other day, Mr. Verstappen, was addressing this. Uh, I haven't heard it all, but I caught some of it, and I agreed with all these general points. There's no shortage of anything. I mean, I think Buckminster Fuller said, "If you want 50 billion people on the planet, we can design it and make it work." Sure. Do we? It doesn't sound as though we do. I mean, it seems a little bit daft, um, but I don't know. We might find out in a few hundred years. People might be laughing. Going, Look, they thought there were far too many with 8 billion. We've now got 500 billion living in greater. You don't know, you know, and it's all, of course it's to do with the capacity to organize and to move and do things. But the money thing has interfered with the natural operations of things because people are oriented towards making a profit. Why? I'm serious. Why? Why 
do you need to make? Why has money been productized? It's really like an inch. It's just a measurement of things, but it hasn't. It's become a thing. And it's this. I mean, I, this guy, he said this is the main problem when they productized money, when they turn it into a product, into a thing. It isn't a thing. It's really a measurement tool between us. But if we're producing loads of food, I mean, if you look at what people need, it's not, it isn't much. But we find that these things that we need that aren't much, all of them are interfered with by this profit-making process, which actually compels us to go off and do silly things, like at the insurance industry. It's silly, really. You only need a computer to just feed all the data, and you could just have everybody insured, couldn't you? But we, then I wouldn't have a business. Well, we don't need you having a business doing that. It's deft. Precisely. I, I, these are just my thoughts, George. I just look at things uh, uh, that people are doing. Why are, we, why are you doing this? It's not even making you happy. I've got to earn money to pay the bills. Well, but then you look at what's around you, but we've got all this stuff. So it's about the apportioning of stuff. It's about the unwillingness of certain people to, to do that. I mean, you think about Gates and Buffet, hopefully you don't think about them too much because it's, it's not pleasant. But these guys that are multi-billionaires, what, they did that through hard work and honesty, did they? That's how, that's how you get to be a billionaire, is it? George Soros is a multi-billionaire because he's a really decent chap. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's why we all respect him and think good thoughts about him so much because we know he worked really hard to acquire all that money and he's got nothing but good thoughts and intentions for the rest of us. I mean, none of those things I've said are true about him. But um, that's the kind of world we've got this. What are we going to do with the rich and the powerful? That's what I want to know, George. They're the problem. They're totally surplus. They're like dinosaurs. We don't need them. We haven't needed them for a long time, and they know that. That's why they go around creating all this trouble, you know, so that the governments that they control turn up and go, ooh, we need a government to sort this problem out. Go, Actually, mate, you are the problem. If you were here, all these problems that you keep addressing, most of them wouldn't even exist. They're problem creators so that they can, you know, milk the public purse to get paid to solve these problems, which, of course, they never do. We can't do that. They'd be out of business, wouldn't they? Absolutely. And that begs the question, which we get asked all the time. Why are people like the, the aforementioned Soros, Buffett, and Gates, why are they allowed to, to meddle within the, the rules of our country when they have not been elected to anything? Well, I guess in simple terms, it's because those people that, that are purportedly in the positions of power are coerced and threatened with violence, with death, with poison, with ruin. That's the, it's got to be like that. How could it not be like that? I mean, what's the history of the Jesuit order? It's not good, you know. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Anybody that's read the Jesuit oath would go, ooh, that's a bit harsh, oh, a bit nasty. You know, it's not, it's not nice, is it? You go, these people are horrible. Really, you know, if you just talk about it like as a kindergarten and get, we don't get too involved, you just look at it and go, I don't think I want to spend any time with people like this. These people are not right in the head or the soul or any part, to be quite honest, to put things down like that. And uh, and they're just one aspect of it. So th these sorts of creatures, unfortunately, exist. They are very long-standing in terms of their history. They know who they are in a way that possibly you and I don't. Um, they have had access to the true archives of the real history of the Earth, so they know it in a way that we are still 
We're much closer. We've been nibbling like mad, courtesy of this technology the last 25 years. But there's still things that are yet to be revealed. And so they hang on uh, to controlling it because they're the people that are supposed to do it, George. Don't you know? My dad did it. My granddad did it. This is what we do. We're the ones that are going to run everything. And we're kind of saying, we don't really need anybody to run anything. Nature seems to just take care of us, can't we? You know, we're quite happy. We would be happy if you'd stop interfering and let us raise good families. But, of course, if you look at all the natural things that you want to do, every single one of them is interfered with by these globalists, whatever we want to call them. And it's... It is every single facet of your life they, they want to control. And if they would simply step aside and allow us to do our thing, which, look, 90-plus percent of the world are good people who just want to raise a family, pay your bills, and hopefully have a little left over at the end of the day to go watch a movie or go see a ball game, right? But it's just they're parasites. You know, here in America, I think we were – March 28th, thereabouts, is uh, – tax day it's like uh we basically work from january 1st to march 28th just to pay our taxes and from that day forward you earn for yourself you think about it that's a quarter of your income you're working for someone else and then when you you know when you get home after a long day you turn on the news uh, what what are what are they, what do they tell you well we gave another 1.8 billion dollars to ukraine we gave uh 10 million dollars to pakistan for gender studies uh, on and on and on. And Yay, see, gender studies. Yes, thank goodness, because, you know, I need to Oof. be told I, there's a 70 or 80 genders. We need to study them, and we need to teach our children to properly, you know, address their friends with their proper pronouns. But but mm-hmm. seriously, it's just, and the thing of it all is we just continue to take it. We just continue to take it, you know, whether it's cognitive dissonance or we just don't want to deal with it because life is such a challenge within itself. Uh, You know, so many people, you know, maybe they're dealing with health issues, marital issues. Um, Some people just don't want to really address the true problem. And in my book, uh, the banks, the education, and, and the way the media is controlled to make people believe. Look, to me, education and media are hand in hand. It's like education manipulate your mind, you know, six years to 18. Then when you go into the real world, you start watching the news, and that becomes your education system. And they're both just so... It's it's unbelievable. They're not and, very good, are they? No. And no. Miss Lily just actually sent me an article, uh, or maybe it was a uh, video. The UN, United Nations wants global control of homeschooling. Like, that's the last dagger in the heart for... They don't seem to get it, do they? The whole idea of homeschooling is that that, that you're not invited. And and I think there's something to do as well with this trigger acknowledgement thing in, in our own circuits. Oh, an authority institution called the United Nations has said something. And on some level, all of us... I've got a kind of little subservience thing going on in our heads that's been planted there ever since we were young. Yep. I mean, what what is one of the primary results of being taught in a class? That you pay attention to the authority figure at the other end and you obey it. That's right. That's one of the main reasons for school. It's not, it's not for the content. It can't be for the content anymore because the content that's in it is a joke. And the context is also a joke. So that's why, you know, if you allow your young people to go into these places without a proper context – 
they're going to come out scrambled. Uh, the old ways of education, before they'd worked out all this sophisticated manipulation of, of individuals, are better. Rigorous discipline. I'm all for it. Victorian education produced really self-disciplined people. You know, it was very cruel. You know, well, maybe. Yeah, in parts. You know, it's not all perfect. I, I accept that. I remember, you may have seen it, actually. We had a similar thing over here, but I think the one online that I saw was like a general entrance exam for 14-year-olds in America from 1904. Have you ever seen that thing? It's oh, like I'm 30 sure. questions. Yeah, and I'm sure... That's what it is. It's not maths and it's not geography. It's all of them. It's right. just the paper, yep. right? 30 mm -hmm. questions. It involves history, geography, the operation of volcanoes, all this kind of stuff, right? In 30 questions. And, and I was just blown away by the comprehensive, detailed nature of the, of the questions. And obviously what was going to be required to answer them. These were not... These were really meaty things. Now... Most adults today can't deal with that stuff. I'm not saying that you need to know about all these details and everything, but, but what it shows you is that the attitude of people about our capacities was totally different. People said, we can, you can do so much. There was that kind of framework of things. It breeds a kind of resolve and strength in us as a people, which is self-evidently not there today. Why? Because... Um, the whole thing has been gradually worn down. What's the main weapon that's worn us down? I think it's what you mentioned a few moments ago. I'm going to suggest it's the media. People are imbibing at the teat of, you know, audio and visual puke 24-7. And they know, they know nothing else. That sets the parameters for the knowledge field. I mean, we've managed to break out of it by use of the dirty internet, you know, because that obviously makes us scoundrels of the first degree. And... Uh, you know, because it ended up a phrase, didn't it? You know, oh, you got that on the internet as if it was a dismissive thing. But this is because most people don't know how, never even learned how to use a library. Have you ever used a library? I mean, I used to go to libraries a lot because I think they're fascinating. And then you find out that most of the books you want are not in them. But then they turned up on the internet. And of course, most of us didn't even know that these sorts of books even existed. We didn't know that there was an alternative history line. We didn't know it. So how are you going to go and look for alternative history when it, you're literally, you're not even ignorant of it, you're totally unaware that that line exists? And then suddenly someone says, look at this. What's that? This is a book written in 18, blah, blah, blah. And it was suppressed because of X, Y, and Z reasons. Really? Yeah. Have a look. Oh, boy. <laughs> so up and down the line, there has always been a percentage of people that are fully wired up, know exactly that the thing's bent out of whack. The question we need to ask, maybe, I'm fed up of asking questions. I just, sometimes I just want easy answers, don't you? But the question is, why were they not able to make an impact? What is it that keeps drawing us back into the mire or incapable of escaping it? And this, it's obviously subtle human drives. I think fear is the main one. Fear of loss. Fear of loss is huge. People go, yeah, I might only have this small crappy little house and the mortgage might be horrific on it but it's all i've got i'm quite happy here and you know what they are i'm quite happy i don't want a lot of stuff i don't think most people do i think it's a nonsense uh one thing i would like is the absence of bills though george i'd like them to just because i i hate even having to deal with them we've well, produced all this electricity water why, why can't i just have it i, mean, I know it's childish right <laughs> i do understand that but um we have built all these things I mean, the house I live in has probably been bought and sold multiple times over. Why? It only, it only needed to be built once. Right. How many times and what's happened with the, the wood? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, now the wood's through the roof, isn't it, wood, oh, I think? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, uh, I keep mine under yeah. lock and key now. It's worth more <laughs> oh, than gold. Wow. 
Is it? Woodbank. There you go. Make it, that's it. It's that wooden coins. There we go. I don't we, know. We, let's, who needs gold and silver? <laughs> Wood nickels. We just grow our money. There you go. And, um, yeah. But, you know, as as is covered on Datum Line with uh, uh, Bruce McCarthy, mm-hmm. uh, who's no longer with us, sadly, a fantastic series. I mean, you know, he. I mean, it's, I just think it's such a, you know, every 46 minutes is what they edit down to. I come away reeling. I can't. I need to probably stop them for a bit and actually digest the first 10 fully because, but he mentions regularly, he said, you're not using, no one uses money. We use credit with interest tagged on the back end. And that that was a a basic thing now that I'm sure we just throw around, but only 2% of the money supply is actually cash. It's probably not even that now. Well, I would make it all cash, all of it. (laughs) Why, you know, just, well, I can't carry it around in my pocket. Of course you can. (laughs) My dad did. Carry it around in your pocket. Well, people might rob me. I mean, you know, this this thing's been going a long time. When people did used to carry, I'm talking long, long time ago, right. uh, robbers would work for banks to create the need for you to put your money in the bank. Oh, you don't want to come in this town. There are robbers around. I ought to know. I employ them to beat people like you up to create the drive to, for you to put your money in my bank. <laughs> well, Where I'm going to leverage it whilst you're not around. Yeah, but I'm not sure. telling you any of this. Well, that's really what they do. So... Um, there's too much temptation in the bank. Um, there's just too much temptation for for them to be run straight. You know, even the Swiss. Oh, you can trust us. We're Swiss bankers. No, we can't. Oh, we're London bankers. We're much better than the Swiss ones. No, you're not. Um, so it's um, you know, we've been seduced into that, and I guess to some degree we would prefer it if there were institutions that we could rely upon and think were good and doing these things. And at times throughout their history, no doubt they have been. But they're not now, and they haven't been for a long time. Um, you know, and it's the whole thing with the mortgage. and with it, You mentioned whatever it is that you pay in income tax. But really, I think the taxation that you pay on, on your income is about 70%. Because every all the goods and services that you're buying, those businesses are paying loans back with interest on them. That's right. And um, I've had it with people. Oh, I, I don't have any credit cards. I don't have any debt. I don't pay any interest. Oh, you pay interest, all right. I'm glad you don't have any debt. But you see, people get hooked up on debt. Debt's not actually a problem. It's not. It's not an issue. Why should it be? It's the interest on the debt that's the issue. That's the kind of feedback loop in a PA system, something you can probably identify. Or the echo. That's the dreaded echo, right, <laughs> George? <laughs> it's the interest. Is and Where is it coming from? I can't get rid of it. And it's interfering with everything. Well, that's what interest is like. And um, it's... Um, it's not necessary. And there have been incidences, there have been moments in history where people have resolved this issue. They've allowed banks to function. They've set limits on how they profit, not through loans and the charging of interest, but through flat service fees. It creates a much more stable environment. But the people that are in charge don't want a stable environment because then you're going to get strong. And once you get strong, you're not going to listen to them anymore because they're boring, most of them. They've only got one trick in town, which is dominating everybody else. They're dull. Their ideas are absolutely useless. I mean, this guy, what's his name? Schwab. He sits there all smug and all these other acolytes at the World Economic Forum. They've got nothing to offer. I mean, that's part of my mission, to get people really clear. These people are like dinosaurs. They're useless. We don't, they've got this framework in mind of going forward. They're always using this word progress. <laughs> it's just hilarious. We don't want any of that. Your progress is our ruin. That's right. Yeah, all they're talking about is the progression of their idea 
to control and, and run everything from all these centralized locations. And, um, of course, their control of the media means that it's overwhelming this narrative. It's been consumed all day long. This is the only story in town. Well, it isn't. And that was one of the drives, really. It's, it's still not, you know, or certainly a, 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 an overarching thought with regards to this radio platform is that it's got to be a space where we tell, I would like it to be anyway, tell a fuller and more broader range of stories. They don't even have to be hard. They just have to be us telling our stories to ourselves at the end of the day to restore, because that is our culture. Our culture is what we do. It's racial. All cultures are. They're not based on, on this modern, you know, nonsense about describing them. Cultures arise out of race. That's why they're all different. And that's the true natural diversity in the earth. And, um, most cultures of other people don't interest me. Why would they? I would imagine that mine doesn't really interest them. Why would it? You know, just go, you know, oh, no, we've all got to be interested in everybody else's business. Actually, we don't. Um, so, and they can only hold this manure together by controlling the bank. It's literally an onslaught. You know, they, they won't obey the laws of nature and they don't want anybody else to either. And, uh, we find that if we if you leave us alone, we do want to do that. We will slowly slip back to it. We need to probably get a, a move on uh, because we want we want happy families, don't we? That's what we want. We want to be uh, stable again, and we want our storytellers to come forwards, and we want only the best storytellers to come forwards. Um, people are not equal; they have unequal talents in different areas, and I want Charles Dickens and. Uh, Dostoevsky's again, uh, taking us to different places because of their profound gifts, and other people have gifts in other in other ways. But you know, communism seeks to flatten everybody and tell you that we're all equal. That's right. A deranged, a deranged idea, only produced by deranged minds that are cross with God, or something like that. You know. Yeah, we're about to go to the break, but real quick, I want to touch on one thing you said. You said that sometimes a bank would encourage. Uh, or maybe even pay people to rob people because they wanted their money secure, so they would rush to the bank to put their money in the bank. That is pretty much the mm. same thing our government is doing today with these false flags. They want to scare us so we can look to the government and say, please help us. And they say, we'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're going to protect you with this thing called the Patriot Act. But uh, there's our music. We're, uh, uh, that hour number one has just absolutely flown by with our guest today, uh, Speak Free Radio co-founder Paul English. We'll be back with Hour 2 in just a few minutes. Don't touch that dial. We'll see you on the other side. Government officials Hey everyone, it's George the Fact Hunter. Be sure to check out my radio broadcast every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time. And our listener call-in show every Saturday from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Right here on SpeakFreeRadio.com. Welcome back to Hour 2, everybody. That was a quick break. <laughs> uh, welcome back to Hour number 2 of the Fact Hunters radio broadcast for this uh, July 20th, 2022. And today we have our special guest, Paul English. Quite a first hour uh, we spoke a lot on uh, the banking industry, how it's basically, for lack of better words, enslaving us. 
the media, which here in the United States, of course, we had the, uh, I believe it's called the Smith Modernization Act of 2012, which basically, uh, I think in the late 40s, they had uh, passed the original act, which did you know did not allow the u s government to release propaganda against its own people it's used it's always been used in wars around the world uh whether it was Baghdad Bob or you know the things that were going on in Vietnam but uh, one of the interesting things that Barack Obama created in twenty twelve was the basically they modernized it they reversed it and uh, that's really when you started to see the turn of all these false flags um these mass shootings. And the propaganda has really gone to next level. And then again, you take it eight years after that to 2020, which, you know, March 11th of 2020 really changed the course of this world and uh, much further separated the, uh, I guess you would call it the, the upper class, you know, the elites, um, and almost decimated the upper middle class. And every day that goes by, it's separating us more and more and more. It's going to be difficult to repair what has happened in the last two and a half years, Paul. And I am 98% sure that they're going to bring, they're going to try to do the same thing again this fall because we have some big elections coming this fall. Uh, I do think they're going to try to bring back lockdowns, uh, compulsory uh, vaccinations, and things like that. I don't like to play, you know, Karnak the, the predictor, but it's hard to see that, you know, what's coming this fall. You you may well be right. Um, I mean, they can't stop. They're all, you know everybody says they're all in, and they are because there's such a well, there's such a history of the of the crimes that they've committed, and and if we begin to peel back more of the paper, as it were, and see those things more fully, and that process gains ahead of steam, they are naturally anxious that we will become aware of the true depth of their evil, because it's evil what they're doing. You don't get into these positions of control over people unless you're willing to do things that are beyond the pale for people like you and me. We wouldn't do these things. We say, well, I think my eternal soul is actually really a bit more important than me just turning a book by being abusive to this person. But this is not really how many of those people operate. And um, uh, we're not privy, of course, to their... Uh, I suppose, all the details of their wonderful internal religion and belief systems. Thankfully, I don't really want to know. Um, well, I kind of do, I suppose. But um, it's got to be treated with, you know, you've got to treat that kind of carefully. But I, I would, there seems to be nothing much that they will do. I mean, I think, you see, the inquiries into these other areas of knowledge, which obviously 9-11 catapulted a lot of people into this space, and it's built since then. But what's happened over the last two years is of a different nature, I think. It's affected most of the world, or most of our world anyway, what the remnant of Western Christian civilized countries have been massively thumped by it. And, and what, what strikes me is the worst aspect of that is the compliance of most of my kith and kin. It's not the fact that they've put out lies, the people at the top. I expect that of them. It's the fact that people have complied with it. They operate on the basis that government is trying to help them. This is a serious mistake. And many of them have, have come to realise it, but unfortunately too late. It's what used to be called common sense. 
And it's obviously been driven out of people, or they've been seduced out of it, or hypnotized out of it. Whatever you want to say, whatever words we use, it's not as prevalent. There's not that sort of rugged cynicism that used to run through people to the degree in the past. It's not there today. It's just not there. Uh, There are still some of us, of course, who are unreachable by their manure. And they don't like us very much. And our job is to basically reach our people before they do. And see if we can get them to uh, spark back into life. You know, it's that kind of thing, really. You know, when you think about the big picture, it is sad that fear, which is what they use, has uh, works better than hope, which is what we use. Well, you know, us in the truth community, of course, we go down the, these, I hate to say rabbit holes, but, you know, when we see truth, we try to share it with people. And they say, ah, you're, you're a conspiracy theorist. But when they hmm. spread their manure, as you say, uh, and say, hey, look, if you don't get the shot, you're going to die. And people think, okay, <laughs> I, I better go get this jab. And you're seeing, you know, unfortunately, you're, you're seeing, and to me, 9-11 was really, really where it all went sideways. Because, you know, the general rule, which if you're religious, you know, the whole free will thing, right? They're not mm-hmm. supposed to push, you know, cross that line with free will. Now, at the end of the day, my wife lost her job because she refused to get the jab. But listen, no one tied anybody down and put a vaccine in their arm, right? Mm-hmm. But 9-11 was a different animal. They murdered 3,000 people on that day. Free will was yes, destroyed on that day. Yep. And this world, while it was sideways well before then... There's still a lot of people out there that think Ronald Reagan is just the last great American president. Well, Ronald Reagan is the reason that Operation Warp Speed was allowed to happen without any um, uh, adjudication being allowed to happen, okay? You cannot Mm -hmm. hold these uh, pharmaceutical companies liable. If you drove a car off the lot and it exploded, you would sue them and get millions of dollars, People are literally collapsing and dying to the point where they, oh, there's something called sudden adult death syndrome now, but you cannot hold them liable. It's just evil to the umpteenth degree. Well, it's, I, it is. I mean, the, the programming is in the words. You just mentioned this little new thing they've got, sudden adult death syndrome, which doesn't exist, of course. But it does now, because it went in a newspaper. Oh, on the TV, nonstop. It's none of these events have to be real. I physically really occur. The actual molecules don't have to do these things. All that has to happen is that people have to think it happened. It's as good as, because it's like going boo, and everybody jumps. And it's a psychological protection racket. There's no difference. I mean, that's really what it is. That's what governments run. Of course, governments don't run things. They're run by something else. The hidden hand is the old phrase. So I quite like it, really. Right. So the hidden hand run the government, you know. And then you get people saying, well, if we get these people into politics, it will change. It will not. It never has. It cannot do that. It's being involved with these power structures that, that maintains the problem. They are the problem. They always have been. And there's nothing profound here. I'm not saying anything profound. The 
But the issue is, is that most, a lot of people don't know that. I mean, I've had discussions, I've mentioned this before, I've had discussions with people, I tell them I've never voted for a political party in my life. I never have. And they go, well, that's terrible. I go, is it? They go, well, yeah, you ca-. They go, you're part of the problem. I am. <laughs> they say, yeah, if you don't vote, you can't complain. I said, you've got it wrong. It's the other way round. I said, it's because people like you encourage these mediocre, venal idiots, and you actually vote for them, you have put these people supposedly in power over my life. You're the one at fault. Why are you engaging with people who self-evidently have never had the interests of the people as a top priority? They just say they have them as a top priority, and you, like idiots, fall for it again and again and again because... Hey, they had a big party conference, and wasn't wasn't his suit nice? <laughs> and his wife's lovely. Oh, she's lovely, isn't she? The nice? first lady, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. I I maintain, you see, that uh, the whole thing is obviously shot to pieces. We have people over here who are not English who go to the Houses of Parliament. I have no idea why they go. They think they're Englishmen. All the other people there tell them that they are, and they're not. I'm supposed to rely upon these people to make decisions about the management of my nation. I cannot do that because they're mentally unstable, because they are all involved in a process of compromise, and compromise does not work. It never has. It's simply holding in abeyance some disaster for a further day to let some other poor crew have to deal with it. So, uh, and there are solutions to all of these problems. I know we have to analyse the problems or talk about them. There's great drama in it, isn't there, when we talk about these things. And that's kind of compelling to all of us. But a solution to the financial problem exists in the Bible. It's called a year of jubilee. There you go, done. <laughs> it's that easy. Oh, you couldn't possibly do that. Yeah, we, we actually could do that. Uh, there's no political party over here has ever suggested it. We need a year of jubilee, the forgiveness of all debts, the setting of everything back to zero. All financial institutions will be calmed down, and the purpose of banking and finance will be not to make a profit, but will to be simply to supply sufficient currency into circulation to service all the exchanges that are required. That is the true purpose of a bank. It's not to make a profit. And if it does make a profit, inadvertently, it distributes it back to its stockholders, which, in your case, George, under my plan, would be you and every American who owns the Federal Reserve. One share each, remember? In fact, with electronics, you could get a divvy, a divvy on the hour, every hour. And then we don't have to listen to them talking about interest rates, because you wouldn't have them. You don't need interest rates. It's gibberish. The whole thing is complete nonsense. It's only designed to do one thing, which is what it has done ever since it started, which is to move more and more purchasing power into fewer and fewer hands. That's what it does. That's what interest does. does it, you may be one of the lucky few, or the fortunate cunning and evil few, or the unfortunate, in the end, cunning and evil few, that have got this purchasing power. And what do you do? I mean... It, I know there's a phrase that, well, they're doing it to make money. I used to have this. I said, no, they're not. I said, how much more money do you need? I said, they're not doing that at all. Do you think, I mean, after you've bought one castle and a helicopter or whatever toys they've got, how many more are you going to buy? Is it going to give you a buzz? You know it won't. They're not different. No, they're into the real game, which is controlling everything. You know, uh, because they've not actually chilled out. Why can't... 
Why can't Warren Buffett just take all his money and say, I'm going to put it all into farming? This is ridiculous what's going on. Let's grow healthy food. I don't need my money. I mean, how old is he? Well, he can't do that because he's part of the club. He's only got there because they give him a leg up. Same with Gates. Gates is no genius. He's just a CIA asset. You know, they've got software coming along. They're going to introduce the personal computer into the world. They've got to control that. So they pick some guy with, you know, some specky four-eyed git, you know, sorry, but that that's really, it's worth addressing Gates in that way. He really is. And they say, you, you're going to be, and Gates is a, a, an awful individual. And I've known that almost from the time he came along. And I've known it purely by the sound of his voice. What kind of sound is that? It's just, whoa. I, you know, same with Fauci. If you listen to the sound of people's voices, in many cases, the people that we're talking about, they don't sound right. They do not sound right. Kissinger doesn't sound right. Klaus Schwab, of course, has been selected because they were looking for somebody that closely resembled Blofeld from 007 and they <laughs> yeah. told him to really lay on the ridiculous Austrian accent so thick. The end of force industrial revolution. Oh, shut up, you bald-headed git. I mean, he's just ridiculous. He's a joke. And we need to sort of get them into public spaces, which they will never turn up in. Oh, no. And they need rebuking with voices and energy. They need to be shredded for what they're doing. I mean, when I see Schwab's face, George, all I see is a man who owns the largest philtrum in the world. I've never seen anything so big. It's enormous. What a philtrum he's got. <laughs> I'm being obscure intentionally. <laughs> so, but he has. And uh, so um, he's just a ridiculous looking individual and he just talks tripe. And they're so full and smug of themselves, aren't they? Incredible. Indeed, Indeed they are. One of my yeah. favorite videos of all time is Bill Gates. Must have been in the 90s, maybe mid to late 90s. He's smiling with his geeky smile and somebody comes around the corner and whap, <laughs> like a big uh, oh. custard pie to the face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he didn't. You can tell from his body language there's something not right with him. And, of course, they're always talking yeah. about world population. It's total rubbish. Yeah. I mean, if you want to reduce the world population, Western Christian people, you know, if you really want to be effective, why not look at that part of the world that's got China, Indonesia, and India in it? There's four billion people there. You want, why are you going to have a chat with them? Sort that out. We don't have four billion people. You know, a hundred years ago, over a hundred years ago, we were about 30% of the world's population. Now it's 9%. Yes, numerically, there are more of us. Um, but our uh, replacement rate is not high enough. Uh, and I'm not arguing for arbitrarily large or small numbers. I mean, right. it's almost impossible to know. A population grows depending on its ability to produce food. We're very good at that. We're actually world champions at it. Just about better than anybody else. Yeah. Why, did, why did South Africa blossom? Uh, because Dutch and German and later on British farmers went there and they took that rich soil, which wasn't being used, and they just made it yield stuff up. And, of course, the whole everybody made a beeline for it. Food is really basic stuff. <laughs> but now it's the evil white man who has to be genocided down there, you know, because uh, well, he's just evil, right? And it will always be that way. There is no way to resolve that dispute they're actually right in regards to them we are evil i agree with them we are the 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 solution is to not have not be around one another and guess what the planet's so massively big 
that that's really easy to organise. In fact, nature organised it for millennia along those lines, and it worked quite well. Yeah, you get skirmishes, and you get you get major things as well happening because you know there's always some sort of person coming along who has got a big army, or they've uh, you know and why have they got a big army? Because they've been producing food for a long time, and everybody's got healthy and strong, and they're doing all these things. And it's all basic stuff, isn't it? I mean, over here in England, I think up to about. Uh, until the, we got the sort of full agrarian revolution with ploughs and everything, you had 20 people working on the land to feed 24. That's how labour-intensive it was, the production and marshalling of the whole food system, so that you could eat. Everybody was involved with it. Well, 80% of everybody was involved in doing that. Um, and we've invented all these fantastic things. And yet we find now that the food, what the vitamins and minerals in the food is going down all the time. There's no reason for that. It's nonsense. I would put farmers right at the top of the importance tree in, in Britain, because I can only talk about where I live and where I'm from. But I would say that they are the most important factors. I mean, if, you were, if you've got a farm system that is producing real food that is crammed with minerals and vitamins, and we understand that fully, and people are eating it from birth you're going to see a massive drop-off in people getting ill, which, of course, is not very good for pharmaceutical profits. Sorry, boys, but we don't need you because you're all a bunch of hucksters anyway. Really, honestly, the drug industry is just... Uh, it's vile. Surgeons, astonishing people. Yep. Astonishing. I think surgery on trauma stuff is absolutely amazing. Pharmaceuticals, probably... <laughs> it's, 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 it's worse you know, in the opposite direction. It's as bad as surgery is amazing. Um, overall, you know. Yeah. Surely, food, good food is the key, right? Absolutely. It's preventive maintenance. If you don't change your oil <laughs> and you put in crappy gas, your car is going to break down. Yep. Nothing different about the human yeah. body if you take care of it. And these are the things you'll never hear out of Fauci. You'll never hear Fauci say, hey, maybe try not to drink a two-liter pepsi every day uh maybe you should go out and walk once a day get plenty of sunlight yeah. and get some good natural no never never one one breath about that it's and listen folks there's no such thing as a magical elixir there is not one product in this entire world outside of water that is that works for everyone it's just not there even food items people have allergies there's some people who can't eat mushrooms there's some people who can't drink milk and it's the very much the same as these, this poison that they call pharmaceuticals. For them to stand in front of a, a television monitor and look at people around the world in their eye and say, trust us, go to, it's just, I, I have not seen this level of evil since September 11th, 2001. No, it's very, it's very strong for those of us that see it. And of course, what is unsettling is we see a lot of people that still don't see that that the uh, the detection systems which have been weakening have fallen off a cliff for some people they don't even have them left they've got no defense mechanisms intellectually to deal with this stuff they don't know how to assert their own self-interest they've stopped almost and um it's it's not good uh, basic simple ideas are not communicated often enough like the one we've just had that that we need good food. I mean, if a political party came along on these platforms, it wouldn't be given much airtime because it runs counter to the interests of the real control group. 
This is why politics can't work in that way. I'm not, I'm not saying a political movement couldn't work. That possibly could, but a political party over here, forget it. Uh, and, and it's not also nothing to really get too upset about because you can still shift it in different ways. But um, surely the farmers need to be right at the top of the tree. <laughs> no one's doing anything else if the farms don't work. You're not running your insurance industry, pointless though it may be, if, if your employees can't get fed, if they're all ill. You know, we've not thought about this for a long time because, you know, we've had the convenience of supermarkets and uh, all these other things. And I'm not against those things per se, but like all centrally controlled monolithic organizations or corporations, they go rotten. It's this concentration of power in our civilizations, you know, in Washington, D.C., in London, wherever it may be. That's the problem. We don't need that. That's just like cancer. Cancer cells draw all the energy out of the surrounding cells and kill the entire body if, if left unchecked because, of, well, that's what we've got. We've got cancer of the civilization in some way, you know, about this. You give us more power and we can sort everything out. No, no, that's, that's wrong. It's because we've been doing that for a long time that everything's gone so bad. We don't want you to have any power, right? We just need to go back to the law the actual one, not all this stuff you've been making up on pieces of paper, particularly since the Second World War, um, you know, about how to manage things, right? Because you're no good at it. We don't need it. What you've got to offer, we don't need. Your, your skill set is completely irrelevant. We don't need you at all. We need you to just bugger off. Go away. Try and find something useful to do with your life instead of interfering with everybody else's. And I would just have everything, I mean, personally, you know, I would have everything at the sort of local. All politics is local and needs to be. And uh, in England, we've got about 50 counties. They would become the main organisers. You'd still need something to organise the rail network and stuff. But it's not an infinite list. When you watch the news, you think it is. I mean, there is an infinite list of problems when you watch the news because the government are intent on creating them. <laughs> Otherwise, what's the causative reason for having a government at all? Oh, we're here to sort out all these problems. <laughs> we're saying, you cause them all. And it's a protection racket. It's exactly like the protection racket. Oh, you need us to say around to stop all these chairs flying through your window. Well, it hadn't happened before. Oh, it probably, it's probably going to happen now. Why? Well, there are people like us around. <laughs> you know, it's just... It's just a much more advanced and sophisticated protection racket, seems to me. Yeah. And outside of the uh, ensuring the military-industrial complex gets rich and they get their kickbacks, that's another reason why they, um, you know, they make sure we have wars you know, once every 10 years or so. So they can yep. stand in front of the podium and look at you very seriously and say, you know, we will not allow this evil, you know, uh, once again, just another, we'll take care of you, don't worry about it, stand back, we're going to unleash our armies and make sure that, you know, our way of freedom is not infringed upon. Yeah. Yeah, the American way of freedom, the democracy and freedom and all this other delightful nonsense, which we don't need. I mean, democracy is basically slow burn communism, that's all it is. Yeah. Um, you know, because if, if you go back, I you know, his, history-wise, I like to start round about Henry VIII and stuff like that, that person. It's not that I'm, I, I pay attention to things well before that, but in terms of my own country, 
um, we had this thing over here called the, the restoration, but it really should have been called the devastation because that's what it was. And that shows you how bad things can get when people want power. Henry was, was not a good guy, but he was also set up. And his court was completely thick with Venetian spies and Venetian doctors. Why do you think he never had a boy for so long? I mean, there's just, I don't believe what I'm told in terms of the pat historical story. There was a reason for it. I'll tell you something really rather funny as well that's really rather odd. It still hangs on to this day. Now, the Queen, bless her soul. <laughs> someone's going someone's gonna to have to. I, um, all the monarchs are known as the defender of the faith. And the, uh, but the origin of this is mad. Because when, uh, when Protestantism was on the rise, and before Henry was a Protestant, there, uh, Martin Luther wrote his thing, you know, against the Catholic Church. And Henry was a bit cross about this because he went to Mass six times a day, I think, in the diaries. It's quite serious, very devout. Uh, devoted to, you know, a devout Catholic, all that kind of stuff. And um, so he wrote a document um, countering um, Martin Luther's assertions. And it ended up, or was sent to the Pope. The Pope said, this is the most magnificent defense of Catholicism that I'm going to give you a title. I'm going to call you the defender of the faith. Now, <laughs> Henry is the defender of the Catholic faith, but he then becomes Protestant or whatever, sets up the Church of England, but retains the title. <laughs> so he was a Protestant you couldn't that didn't protest the, Catholicism. That's right. So the defender of the faith is the, which one are you talking about? I don't know what's going on. Really, hang on. You got the, the Pope gave you this, but you still want. To, oh yeah, we like the title. <laughs> this is what we're dealing with. Are you for real? Yeah, yeah. Look at my medals. Look at my hat. I've got a very large hat. I'm in charge. I'm mean, seriously. I sort of view it like this. It's um, wow. These people are not stupid. I'm not trying to... They're not. They're very, very smart. They're very bright. But they're sort of batting in the wrong crease, as it were. They're, they're, they've lost sight of, of really, in my view, obviously, where the good lies. They think it's in in their own enrichments for whatever reason. And maybe, you know, you know, obviously we're not privy to everything. I, I think that their main, role, their main role is to hang on to power because they don't want anybody else in charge of power. Because they reckon, rightly, I suspect, that anybody that really wants to be in power is going to be as bad and as rotten as they are, and they don't actually have to endure that. <laughs> so, you know, um, these people that are keen on it, they understand how bad it could go for them if they're out of favour. It used to go very bad for people over here. They used to lose their heads a lot. A lot of heads came off, That's right. often. You know, and um, uh, that force is still at play. So, uh, yeah. It's difficult being a human being at times when you're surrounded by these very keen and ambitious but me violent and mediocre human beings who want to boss everybody around. Anyway, they're, you know, they're doing their thing and, and we're seeing it, aren't we? Yeah, and I think we have to find that happy medium between, you know, back in the 1800s, listen, if you got caught even stealing a horse, everybody in town gathered in the public square and they, hang, they hung you, right? Um, mm -hmm. And you fast forward 150 years, if you even, you know, give your you know, smack your child on the butt for saying something, <clears throat> they're going to send CPS after you. I think we have to find a happy medium between there. Um, even today, people who get the death penalty, they normally end up dying of natural causes before even uh, 
them meeting their fate. And I'm not whether or not you're. Pro- I, I suppose you know the thing with the death penalty that everybody brings up is what if you if if it's carried out and it's wrongly the right, wrong right. man dies, mm-hmm. and that's obviously happened. I accept that. Yep. But I think, and it's such a disastrous turn of events is that, and it chills us all to think that that could happen. Um, but there's a reason why the death penalty exists. There, it's. I don't have it in front of me, but I got an essay from someone written only about six months ago. Um, a proper churchman up in the north of England, I would call him proper because he still seemed to, stu- well, he did in this article, was standing by the true law, because that's what the Bible is, a book of law that, that applies to one particular race of people, and it just happens to be us. And um, uh, he was talking about why it's required, because the knock-on effects are terrible of it. And, of course, what it's done is it's led to a softening, a lack of resolve for dealing with bad behavior. And that's really, you know, no one can judge somebody else's eternal soul. That's for a much higher court to decide on with that. But we are down here to effectively, if we're going to have civilization, we have to have rules for bringing about civilized behavior. And the Ten Commandments do just that. And when we stray from them, everything begins to weaken rather rapidly and then of course you get this entire bureaucratic class which is what we're burdened with now who are seeking to oh we can do this and we can do that and it doesn't have to be like that and if you employ me to do this and it's like what and so the whole machinery of government is basically a business that keeps expanding and getting bigger and bigger and bigger and promising more and more lovely things for us and yet fundamentally everything's still rather poor you know we don't lead gallant lives i suspect like our forefathers did we don't lead lives of courage um in many ways because all these things have been kind of smothered in a nanny state kind of idiocy and so our general aliveness it would seem to me is reduced because of it and um uh we're not the better for it uh i don't want people dying or being killed or or whatever but but we live on a planet where that happens it's still happening and we have to have a means and a sense for dealing with it i mean if you go back to biblical times they were brutal yeah. Everybody says, oh, it's a horrible book. I'm going, yeah, we're horrible times. There are horrible people around doing really horrible things. <laughs> there still are. But, you know, what are you going to do? Oh, no, I'm, I'll just turn the other cheek and let him chop my head off. That's an insult to God. You can't do that. You've been given life, you know. That's my take on it anyway. I mean, it's easy for me to say. I don't know what I do now. I'm not sort of the fittest and ablest I've, I've been. You know, the advancing years catch up with all of us, so you have to – know where to pick any battles that you might be drawn into but uh the history of england is just littered with death all the, i mean it's non-stop yeah it's basically um, the history of man right it's it's mm-hmm. greed and power that end up really uh making the world not uh as great a place as it could be i think so i think so and i think maybe for us you know <sighs> Maybe for us, it's just, you see, people talk about freedom, and, and I've got to tell you, I'm not really into freedom. I, the more I think about it, I'm, I'm not really that bothered about it, because I think I'm free anyway. To th- you're free to think, if you have learned to think, if you have self-disciplined yourself to think, you can think about anything. They hate that, you see. They lock you up in a prison, but you don't, you know, people are not in prison. They can't lock your mind up. You can go anywhere with this thing. It's a time machine. You can move in and out of time. You can do things. It's amazing. I'm not arguing, by the way, to be locked up. I I don't want that. Of course. (laughs) Right, because it is very irritating. But what I think we're really yearning for, or I am, is justice. 
it's justice that we're it's the absence of justice that is the big pain because when it's present you don't sit around worrying about we're not free to do anything that we like you're not free at the moment to turn into a bird or to run 100 meters in three seconds you're not free to do what your mind can conceive of things but bodily constraints will limit certain people from doing them you're not free and we don't need to be the constraints i think have been put upon us rightfully so that we're in a pressure cooker environment a bit like stones being polished and it's grindy work at times and it takes a long time but that's where the meaning comes from it seems to me there's something in that and um you know, not every day is going to be a great day and you're going to have days that are boring and you're not always going to be titillated and entertained, but there's something else can build. And so I'm not arguing for imprisonment. <laughs> I'm just saying, I, I, for me, George, it's that, that justice is the quality that we need more of again, you know, um, and it's a big discussion really because you have to go through it. But, you know, trials by jury is a key part of it and uh, they've been reduced. The mechanisms by which people were engaged actively with defining the law have been taken away from them. Everybody should be doing jury duty. I mean, you could have every decision that comes before a court, including parking offences and traffic fines and driving offences, have a jury. Why not? You go, this is a ridiculous amount of work. Yeah, but in the end, what would occur is that it would thin out. Common sense would be built up in the body of case law or common law, which it used to be, and it's called common law for that reason. It's the way common people apply the law. There's a great strength in it. And everybody feels involved, which is very important. And now we don't feel involved, and we're not. They have these super courts, and I'm very wise, and I went to all the right schools, and I'll make a decision about this. And it's like, I don't think so. I don't think I'm buying into this. You know, I haven't consented to this. And so they look to de deceive you with consent levels and all these other things as well. So there's no end to it to the machinations quite exhausting really <laughs> it is it really is even if one day we all got together and defeated this evil how long do you think it would last be before they got back together and did another big false flag and oh we have to go back to our old ways Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it would take too long i think you know it's something to really think about i mean suppose you get a small group of really capable honorable men who come forward and say we need to be your government Let's, and you manage to get them in. Let's suppose this happens. How, how do we, how do you and I protect them? Literally, how do you protect them from death, from threats, from murder, from ruin, from their wives being threatened, from their children being interfered with at school? How do you stop that? Now, in the early days, the other side may be decimated, won't be able to do it, but it always comes back. It's like a virus, isn't it? There's a form, and maybe it's got to be here. <laughs> I hate saying that because I don't really believe it or want it. But it's a bit like, you know, if you look at nature, wherever you've got, if you've got those animals that feed on the grass, you've got those animals that feed on the animals that feed on the grass. Right. And so there's a part of it. And uh, I don't like it. We, we think of ourselves as being outside of that. And our minds, our intellectual capacities, those of us that have tried to develop them, maybe are able to do that in a way. But we're still bound in with nature. And we work best when we operate under nature's laws, which are basically God's laws, you know, manifested in in the animal world, in the natural world. That's that's what we see. So we have to be aware of that, I think. Um, there's no getting around that. And it seems to me that, you know, that what's being offered by the other side is that you can have your cake and eat it, and you can't. <laughs> you can't. Because <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't design this place. It's not ours. It's just not. And they think it is. 
you know, it's like that Tower of Babel thing. That's we'll right. build this tower and we'll be in charge of stuff. No, you won't. You will not do that. And yet they can't shake it out of their heads. They can't get rid of it or out of their souls, whatever they've got. And um, that's why I think, you know, most of us are just naturally attracted to almost like the quiet, balanced village life. I am. I want to live in, I want to live in Hobbiton, George. I want to live in that little place where they've got, a, uh, where there's a pub and there's a, a square where people dance and there's a river with fish in it and there are fields. And I go, yeah, it's sort of every little bit of me comes alive at the thought of that because it seems to me that that's the natural way. Of course, I'm a bit out of time with that. <laughs> There's concrete everywhere and jets everywhere, so I do accept that that's a bit of an anachronism, but um, nevertheless, I think that still beats strong with a lot of people. Why is it that people naturally respond to cottages and certain things set in a certain landscape or designed in a particular way? It warms the heart. You go, yeah, there. I'd be really happy there. Why? Why are you not happy in a block of flats? which is where they want us all to live. Why are you not happy in a nice square box? You've got a nice shower and a big, nice square TV. Why are you not happy? Because I'm not. Because I need to be near nature. We all do, you know. So, uh, you know, and then we've got modern architecture. Oh, I could bang on about that forever. We could do a whole series about that. I mean, it isn't architecture, is it? It's just horrific. It's very dangerous stuff, I think. People, oh, it's only a building. Yeah, but it'll stick around for 80 years, making everybody miserable in the area and reducing the tone of life. It does. These blocks that they put up, absolute junk. They're putting them up in London. They've got this thing called the Shard. I mean, you put me in charge. First day, I'll be finding out how we get that thing taken down. I want a list of all the awful buildings in England. They're all coming down. All of them. Don't care. I hate them. Oh, wow. Look at this They're not beautiful, you see. Yeah, they're not beautiful. No. They're not beautiful, and we require beauty in our lives, it seems to me. More than seems. We do. We require it, surely. It, it, you, you have those moments like you were when you were a child, where suddenly everything is just vitally alive and wonderful there and then, and you're kind of reminded about why life is such a precious and wonderful gift. But around this stuff, what are you reminded of? That it's a drudge, that you mustn't think of these things, that everything is miserable. I mean, what is modern art? It's not art at all, is it? It's no. just ridiculous. It's garbage. It's just, yeah, it's just the weaponization of our own culture against us to get us to believe something, you know. And uh, art critics are just a breed unto themselves. They're hilarious chumps. <laughs> they have to it's, talk about it for hours. Yeah. Whereas and, the, the layman looks and goes, that's crap, that is. That's what I do, crap. Yeah, what and then they explain to you what the, the true beauty that lies within it. And you're like, no, this is not really beautiful. <laughs> yeah you can't see it you see because you're not educated like us because <laughs> exactly. we 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 studied this and that and the other and because you're stupid you can't see the beauty in this well it's not it's uh it's the it, even if people fail or an artist fails to really capture thing if there's if the if you get a sense that they're seeking to capture beauty in whatever form painting sculpture music whatever it is you feel that you kind of get a feeling about it. And even if you may not like a thing, you kind of respect it or feel okay with it. But other things are just complete commercial junk. They're junk. And they're designed to be junk, aren't they? You know, they're designed intentionally. It's all this communist manifesto working out and cultural Marxism in all its various, um, you know, ways. Um, so, I and I think, you know, just, I mean, just coming back to the radio stuff, the fact that we can possibly recreate the idea of, being with mum and dad round the fire, having some a hot cup of tea and some tea cakes and listening to the radio. Honestly, me just even saying that, I get slightly blissed out 
because I just I recall all these feelings of just being really happy. <laughs> Ridiculous, isn't it? No, really, really happy. You know, it, it's not. A lot of my memories uh, from my youth, um, when I worked at my grandfather's car lot, I would always rush in at noon uh, to catch Paul Harvey's little five-minute segment, and then I'd go back to work. Those, you know, it's something that yeah. leaves uh, your imagination, right? It, it's instead it, of just it sitting does. in front of a box and being told, that, you know, yeah. given the entertainment, you you live it. Uh, there's something special about radio. There is. Hopefully we can do special things from time to time. It might be more by luck than judgment, I suppose, but um, but maybe we can do that, you know. I, I think I like the old radio plays and things like this because they're, they actually now, they don't even appear nostalgic. They actually are a viable alternative to the garbage that's on TV. I, can, we, I don't watch television. It's impossible. I see the adverts for the new series coming up. You know, I watch a bit of sport. That's what I do watch, mm-hmm. chill out time. And... Um, not football, all right, just to let you know. I don't watch football anymore. It's very silly and culturally irrelevant over here. It's daft. But um, uh, I see the adverts for these things, and, of course, they're just – they're ridiculous. They're not a reflection of, any, of anything much. <laughs> they're just a kind of drama on steroids. It's just nonsense. The whole thing is just gibberish. <laughs> it's whacked out. If it's dark, it's so dark and hellish and evil, you know, that, whoa, 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 it's not like that. So they've run out of things to actually sort of, or maybe they haven't run out of things, but they're really having to, you know, push the envelope with what is acceptable. And the language, of course, is worse. And yet the entertainment factor is not there. I mean, I'm reminded in just thinking now of some of the films of Alfred Hitchcock, which are, oh, the whole family can watch most of those films. Yep. And yet they're not without tension. He understood the value of putting tension into something. And and it's not the actual seeing of the thing. It's the, it's the way your mind is working, anticipating what you're about to see, is what holds you in place. Maybe we'll be able to do something similar with radio. I mean, the old radio guys learned a lot of tricks about that kind of stuff, if tricks is the right word, but techniques for doing it. You mentioned Paul Harvey. I'm familiar with many of those things. Uh, the rest of the story, isn't it? Yep. Something like that. And now you know mm-hmm. the rest. And they're, they're wonderful. I was listening to one, he was talking about Babe Ruth. But you didn't know it was Babe Ruth, except I did, because I'd seen the title of the file, you know. And, uh, of course, I've ruined the way I would tell it now anecdotally. I shouldn't have said this. But it's talking about this young lad and, and what a hellish upbringing he had. And because uh, I've, I've read a bit about Babe Ruth. I know it might seem odd an Englishman doing that, but I have. I find him very interesting. He's the kind of guy that I want to have as a sporting hero again. I like the idea that he got drunk. I like the idea that he smoked cigars. I understand why he was a bit reckless in his life. When you see his upbringing, you'll understand why. If, we, if you've been beaten senseless by your dad for years, you might turn out a bit like that. We, You know, there, but for the grace of God, it, it applies. And yet he, he did something outrageously amazing with his life. And we all know about him over here. It's a long time ago. And yet, you know, his life burnt relatively short, burnt very bright. And um, he made an impact in, in many, many ways, playing really what is a big kid's game. It is. You know, all sports are just games for big kids. And they're not that making bad, but they are. And um, it's things like that. I want my sporting heroes to have a drink every now and again. I always remember there was, the FA Cup used to be this big football event in England. It's it's still supposedly big, but culturally it's absolutely irrelevant. It's nothing like when I was young. When I was young, on the TV over here, 
uh, it was the whole nation was sort of apoplectic that some two football teams were going to play a football match. It is a bit daft, right? I accept that. But I remember once seeing some dressing room footage from Tottenham Hotspur in 1962 when they'd won it or something. And there's all these guys in the changing rooms. They're all smoking. <laughs> I'm going, oh, that's great. Not getting massage or anything. Just have a shower, have a cigarette, go down the pub. And go, yes. And, of course, all the working men can relate to that. Of course. So, you know, sports just got out of hand. It's a big sort of tarts festival now. I can't be doing with it. It's just, it's, it's not interesting. It's not. They're, te- they're amazing, the sportsmen now. Absolutely amazing. And yet, somehow, culturally, it's so distant because it's, there's so much money involved. And, uh, you know, it, I don't know what you're supposed to do with it, really. But um, anyway, I am sounding a bit like an old fart, aren't I, saying these things? But you no, can't help it. You never thought you would. I never thought I'd sound like an old fart. Because at the time when these things were going on, you just think, well, this is normal, right? But then it disappears. You can't understand why it has disappeared. There was no reason for it to disappear. It wasn't bad. It was great. Uh, but no, something else is going to be done. We've got to get involved with progress. Well, we don't really want it. And the progress, of course, comes from outside. It doesn't come from within the culture here. The English work clamouring to change the game. We couldn't care less. <laughs> We're not bothered about that. It's just something to do on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah, and Very interesting. Be, yeah, it used to be a getaway for me. I used to enjoy sports. I used to <clears throat> eat, breathe, and, and drink sports. Uh, but along with everything yep. else, whether it be like we were speaking about earlier, art, uh, movies, television programs, sport. Listen, sports has gone from entertainment, then it became big business, and now it's just become another control mechanism for the elite. Because what, what started happening, you know, five or six years ago, people started kneeling, and then uh, the woke <laughs> agenda. Now you have you have uh, swimmers. Uh, yeah. Leah Thomas, who is a is a man, races mm-hmm. against women, was just nominated uh, as one of the S. Uh, I'm sorry, NCAA uh, Women of the yeah. Year, Athletic Women of the Year, and this is a guy with well, a set of balls. And just pardon my, mm. I'm just trying to let people know that this this is where we're at in 2022, and it's just again. Well, I, I think I think the the path for us to take, I'm completely with you, and all this is where I'm at, sort of emotion with these things is the you just mentioned what the ncaa yep mm-hmm. okay so they're supposedly an authority on this stuff is that right they are, right they are the college that right. they run the well, college the athletics. minute they made that decision they stopped being the authority they stopped in my mind this is how i operate right this is the way i view things right you're not the authority like we have a thing over here called the church of england it isn't right it's in breach of all its own lots. So it's just I dismiss it. I want other people to to get this dismissive attitude of these institutions that have betrayed them. Laugh at them. Don't get outraged. They're not worthy of our outrage. We're not here to resist them or do anything with them. What they need to become clear about is that they're rotten. That the individuals in there, you are rotten people, and we laugh at you. And you're not what you say you are. You're not the NCAA because you're obviously mentally deranged, right? And I'm not here to even engage with you improving your mental derangement. I don't need to. You've just demonstrated in public by the decisions and the words that come out of your spokespeople's mouths. You're, you're barking mad. And we don't want to spend any time with them, so let's not. So what I suggest you do or some, uh, is create the institutions and just put them on a website and say, this is it. That's how it works. All authority is assumed. 
You go, no, I said it. Like, I'm going to be the king of England. Why? Well, because I said it first, and you didn't think about it, so I win. It's that <laughs> So just form new stuff. I, you know, I, do. I want football organized properly, particularly world international football. I'm thinking of organizing. It'll never happen, George. It won't, it won't actually come to fruition in the real – I mean, it might do. But, boy, as hooks to hang these conversations on and engage the public, there's some serious things that we could talk about. I, by serious, I mean, there could be a lot of fun as well but seriously effective in getting traction with a wider audience. Because I'm interested in having people... You see, our people, most of our people, don't actually bat for their own team. No. They don't go to bat for their own people. They go, oh, no, I love everyone. I'm not interested in that. Oh, you're a horrible person, are you? Well, in your eyes at the moment, yeah, given your sort of retarded level of understanding, that's I understand why you're going to call me that. But But I'm going to show you. If you hang around in the conversation, of course they don't you'd get an opportunity to show them how mistaken they are about these things. It, it's so arrogant. The, the Liberals are supremely arrogant. They think they can fix everybody's problems. First of all, you know, my stance is I didn't invite you to come in and fix my problems. They're mine. I've created them in my life, and I want – and I, they're mine. I love my own problems. That's why I created them. They're, they're my hurdles to overcome because, obviously, my character is deficient in A, B, and C, and so I've got to deal with it. I don't want you coming in. Who invited you in? Nobody. You're not in charge. And this is why government needs to be reduced, because they think they're in charge of everything. Oh, we'll make everybody better. You won't do anything of the sort. You never have. You're just trouble. So, we, we, you know, we're governed by people who are deluded. The, the halls of power delude them into thinking that they're going to affect people's lives. I mean, they do, but not in the way that they state, but in a, a very negative and, and defective way. I mean, the Romans had a phrase, didn't they? You know, the proliferation of law is the end of civilization, and they're right. And all we've got is lawmaking machines who say, well, we wrote this on a piece of paper, so we fixed it. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. (laughs) Oh, dear. We have a problem. Yeah, and they have taken over every single facet of our life. You can't drive a car without a license. You can't go fishing without a license. You need to make sure it gets inspected every two years. I mean, every Mm -hmm. facet. Me, you know, I I have chickens. Get a letter of Department of Agriculture. Why didn't you report to us that you have chickens? It's under USDA guidance 13684 that you report within 30 days. It's just, it's suffocating. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. it, it is, that's the word. It's really suffocating. And, and the, yeah. you know, we're in America, the freest country in the world. It's nothing could be further from the truth. No. No, I mean, I think freedom is a corollary of individual responsibility so what they're doing is they're stopping you exercising your individual responsibility you can't actually develop as a human being that's why these challenges and painful periods exist in everybody's life it's certainly part of it you just don't want it to get too excessive sometimes people have terrible things happen in their lives and no one wishes that but it happens unfortunately it's a very small number of cases and and terrible tragic almost things you just can't even understand why it's happened do happen to people um, and there you go. But uh, for the vast majority, they don't need to. So it's individual responsibility, but there's no talk about that. Well, there wouldn't be if everything's about, uh, you know. It's this thing about the pursuit of equality. It's hilarious, uh, hilariously mad. I mean, because equality is a condition that doesn't exist. In any phase or stage of existence, there is no such thing. There never has been. There never, ever will be. Nothing is equal to anything else ever. It's just very useful in the realm of mathematics, which is an abstract language. It's very, very useful. 
but but one orange does not equal that other one sat next to it. <laughs> it doesn't. Right. And that's it not might a be slightly thing, older. It might right? weigh a different. It might be juicier and taste better. Then there's a big fight over that. There's no. So if you are pursuing equality, you are pursuing a thing that cannot be achieved, and you're not sane. You know, by the, not because I say so, but the laws of nature demonstrate it to your face, and yet they overcome it, don't they, by trying to rope everybody into their little club that we can have it this way. It's the same old manure about if we all come together and love one another. N- no, no, we're not going to do that. Guess what? We don't need to do that. All coming together means that in due course, love will go out the window. You're not respecting people. They always think they can fix other people's problems. I think not. <laughs> There's something sneaky about that 70s Coca-Cola commercial and uh, John Lennon's Imagine, that you know, putting that plant uh, seed yeah. in the mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't like Coca-Cola. I don't know <laughs> if I've offended all Americans, but I don't really like it very much. That's so it's very sad. Maybe if they put cocaine back in it again, yeah, I might give it a Yeah, the original recipe, I'm down. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, come on. Let's have a go at that. You know, that might be quite good. So, um, um, but, uh, yes, um, yeah, the, I mean, the pop music industry, of course, when I grew up, I thought it was all quite natural and organic. Yeah. <laughs> you can't see it. You just get whatever you get. You know, you get born at a time, you're born into the culture you're born into. You probably didn't have much of a say in what culture it was, but you adapt to it because you got it, and you will, and we always do, and that's always going to go on, thankfully. And young people, when they're alive and giddy, they change things. They do. Um, it's why, you know, the, uh, the corralling of the education system is so bad. Uh, you know, we've got all these teachers over here that just basically come out of Marxist training college and just talk rubbish. My sons used to come back and tell me what idiotic things their teachers were saying. My, how we laughed. And, you know, the question was, Dad, do I have to keep going to go to school? I said, look, let's turn it again. I, I want you to go because I want you to study how all your other classmates are being brainwashed. I just changed the context for it. <laughs> said come back and tell me how stupid your teachers are (laughs) and i went and met some of the teachers and two or three were great they were old school and others i didn't have much to say really better to say nothing eh better really to say nothing so yeah well we've only got about uh, less than a minute left Uh, i'd like to give the floor to you and i want to thank you for uh being generous with your time today it's been uh been a pleasure to chat with you as always i thank you uh I've just enjoyed it. It's great. I haven't got behind the mic in ages, to be quite honest. And uh, there's so many. Once you get started, you realise how many different things there are to talk about and address and bring up. There's lots to talk about, and there's also, you know, the creation, hopefully, of some feeble though it may sound, some optimism and uh, looking at good things that we want to bring back into our lives and getting on with it and understanding that we are the authority in our lives, even though it might sound a bit glib but bringing that back for real, you know, and and ridding ourselves of these pestiferous pests. They must go. So it's been great being on with you, George. Loved it. Well, thank you so much. And don't forget, guys, it's Wednesday. uh, So tune in tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, Our friend Frederick C. Blackburn and Blackbird 9's Breakfast Club from 8 to 10 p.m. Don't miss it. And again, thanks. Uh, Speak for your radio co-host was our guest today, Mr. Paul English. Uh, For all things Fact Hunter, please go to thefacthunter.com questions comments concerns you can email me at thefacthunter at mail.com until friday at 10 a.m keep your head on a swivel folks we will see you god bless you and thanks for joining us today talk to you soon
are listening to Speak Free Radio, the free speech internet radio platform. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.